You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you know Andrew, you know he would probably be embarrassed that he's getting all this attention on Easter morning. Although most of you remember he... uh, we had the chance to baptize him five years ago on Easter morning. So Easter Sundays are a big deal uh, for Andrew um, in his spiritual journey. And so um, it's good to be with you guys today. I think it's important um, when the body of Christ is hurting um, to be together. Um, one thing that I think kept resonating yesterday as we um, met at the hospital and things were transpiring and even the first thing that... Um, Taylor said to me as as um, I was at the hospital with her and Elliot, she kept asking me, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Like, is this reality? Is this real? And I heard other church members saying that periodically as, um, as they trickled in, like, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't seem like this is uh, what should be happening. Is this real? And I remember as I was holding her in the hospital and she was asking me and just crying out, is this real? I just, I, di- I didn't have specific words to give her in that moment, I just, I just kept telling her it is for now, right? Like it is for now. This is, this is what's real for now. Um, but what's also true is that there's so much more that's real beyond what happened yesterday. Um, that's what I want to draw our attention to in Exodus this morning is that while what was experienced yesterday and what will be experienced going forward for that precious family is um, this is real now, um, but it's not what is forever. Um, and there's plenty more that's real today that speaks to that reality for, for Taylor, for, uh, for, for Elliot, and for the rest of that family, for us as a church family. Um, we baptized him five years ago. We celebrated his new life with Christ through baptism. Today we celebrate through grief Andrew's new life with Christ in heaven. Um, and what was real five years ago for him is still real today. That is still real. Um, His life was forever changed by Christ. Um, And he was a testimony of that every day that he was here as a part of our church. Um, He was constantly pointing others to Christ, constantly pointing others to what God had done in his life. And so um, I think he would want us to focus on the the things that are real today in addition to uh, what happened yesterday. Um, Our attention is going to be in Exodus chapter 12. And I want to read to you starting in verse 33. And it's a lengthy passage, and we're not going to hit every aspect of it today, but I do want to read the passage because we are going to touch on, in at least summary format, all of it. It says, you remember last week we left off with the 10th plague. The firstborn was killed in the night for Egypt. The Israelite firstborns were passed over because the blood was uh, administered to the doorposts, and um, they, they were spared. They were spared from death that night. And the next morning, Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. 
nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by it a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your father and shall give to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all, the first opens, the, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, you listen to that and you say, that's, that's like a weird passage to pick for Easter. Like, this is your, this is your big resurrection day. How are you going to go to this passage for Easter? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, um, why do we stay in Exodus this morning? We started the year with a desire to prepare and respond well to trials. If you go all the way back to January, the first Sunday in January, our summary sentence was, if you don't know the Lord, then you won't trust the Lord when his plans seem to be failing. But if you will expect trials to come and expect him to be working faithfully in those troubles, you will find all the help you need in 2023. Remember the context there was Moses experienced setbacks to what God had told him to do. God had told him to go and to uh, go before Pharaoh and to demand that he let the people go. And God said, it's not going to work. It's going to fail. It's going to go differently than you hope it would go. 
And we see Moses go before Pharaoh and all these things start to play out just as God said. And then Moses' spirit is crushed when things don't happen the way he had hoped or planned for. And he, and he kind of retreats into despair and he's, he's throwing up his hands saying, God, what are you doing? Like, this isn't what I anticipated. We talked about how we have to know God's character to help us prepare for times of trouble. Um, that, that things don't fall apart on God, that things always play out the way that God planned for them too. Um, and we can trust him when our plans don't carry out the way that we want, right? So when a, when a wife and a child expects dad to be there for the end of time and he's not, we don't have to throw our hands up and say, hey, God has failed or his plans are in disarray. No, God continues to carry out all that he set out to do. And if we know the Lord, we can trust the Lord when his plans are failing. We talked about trusting the promises of God, expecting trouble to come in 2023, expecting our plans to not succeed and to prepare to run to him with supporters when it became a mess. Today feels like a mess because it feels like plans aren't carried out the way that we would think they should be. We trust the Lord in the midst of it. We run to him, believing his promises, trusting his promises, because dark nights end with victorious mornings. Throughout Scripture, we are reminded that dark nights end with victorious mornings, providing the hope we need that when darkness is real for now, God's sovereignty, God's providence, and God's coming victory remain real too. Is yesterday real? Yes. The events of yesterday are real for now. There is darkness in the midst of death. We shouldn't try to sugarcoat that, right? Yesterday is the result of sin. The wages of sin is death. Death entered into this world because of mankind's sin. Believers and unbelievers are subjected to it. Until Jesus comes back and puts an end to it for all time, we will continue to be subjected to it. It's real for now. But what's also real, not just for now, but forever, is God's sovereignty, his providence, and his coming victory. Those things remain real too. What do we mean by God's sovereignty? We mean that he remains in control. What do we mean by God's providence? We mean that he remains in control for the good of his children. It's not just that God is the sovereign, it's that he is sovereign towards his people in a providential way, meaning that he works everything for the good of his people. His coming victory is that he is still moving everything towards a climactic finish where good wins, justice is served, and evil is vanquished. That is real today. That God is still moving everything towards this great finish where good wins, where justice is served, and where evil is vanquished forever. That day is coming and there's delays in the midst of it where we have to endure these dark nights. But the victorious morning is coming. And as we read today, Israel woke up after that Passover to victory. They walked out as victors. They walked out because God provided for his people as he had been promising to do. He had also promised it was going to take 430 years to get to that morning. There were a lot of dark nights between then and then. Right? A lot of dark nights they had to experience. One of the darkest nights being that night where they anticipated the death angel to come into the camp. And would the blood carry? Would the blood be enough for them to be passed over? And it was. And they all walked out the next morning victorious. Throughout scripture we see dark nights end with victorious mornings. Gives us hope that when we're in darkness and when it feels very real now, God's sovereignty, his providence, and his coming victory remain real too. 
they remain real too. I want to give you three points today to remember as far as how to, how to take what is real and appropriate it to your life. It starts with number one, recognizing what's real. Recognizing what's real. And I want to see this in, in Old Testament terms and then in New Testament terms for what we celebrate today on Easter, right? It starts by seeing what is real. What is historically real? Well, number one, well over 2,000 years ago, a family of 70 became a mixed nation of 1 million plus, and they walked out of a prison in Egypt after 430 years with great wealth. It's significant the way that Moses writes this down for us. Going back to verse 33, he begins to list off in detail what took place on that victorious morning, right? This, this family of 70, we know that... that uh, Jacob brought his family down to Egypt, Joseph and the brothers and their wives and children. And there were 70 of them that went into Egypt during that time of famine. And God had promised Jacob that they were going to come out as a great nation. He promised Abraham, I'm going to make your, your people into a great nation. 70 is not a great nation. 70 is a big family reunion. And they go into Egypt as a family reunion, maybe wearing t-shirts, here we come, like we're here. And they come out and there's a million plus, some estimations say two to three million of them. Skeptics want to say there's no way that many people could, could come out of Egypt. doesn't make sense. They couldn't have been sustained in the desert. They forget verses that say God sustained their shoes so that those 40 years they're wandering around, they didn't have to change their shoes because God kept them enduring in the wilderness. They lose sight of the fact that Egypt was paranoid about these people. Why? Because they were starting to outnumber them. Right? God was blessing them, even as though they tried to kill them and suppress them and beat them into submission. God kept expanding this people. Right? They become a great nation, a mixed nation. The Bible says it's not just Israel that leaves, it's a mixed nation. Why is that significant? Because God promised that Abraham and his people would be a blessing to all nations. Right? Those of us who don't hail from Israel are thankful for that promise because we are grafted into these treasures. We are grafted into these promises. We're part of the mixed nation that gets to be a part of the people of God, right? We're offspring of Abraham by faith. These people come walking out of a prison in Egypt where they've been for 430 years, and they come out wealthy. The Egyptians are just giving them stuff as they're, as they're leaving, just as God promised they would. These facts are given to show the history of the event. The route is mentioned that they leave with. The size of the people is mentioned. The date is mentioned. This is real history. Real history. Why? Because the people of Israel were going to need a historical event to look back to, to remember for generations to come. They were going to be commanded to celebrate and to hope in this history. So, so Moses goes to great detail to talk about the historical aspect of this event. This wasn't an idea. This wasn't a spiritual freedom. This was a physical, historical event. They walked out of Egypt in fulfillment of God's promises. God had made promises in Genesis 15 that they were going to become a large nation. He made promises about them leaving in haste. He made promises about them plundering Egypt. Note how plundering is a victory term. They are leaving as conquerors of this nation. Numbers 33 uh, verses 3 and 4 recounts this and says that Israel left while Egyptians buried their people, right? They are mourning the death of their firstborns and Israel is walking out victorious because God has given them the victory. 1 Kings eight fifty six. I think we've referenced it. I think Adam McLeod may have referenced it at the end of one of our sermons. Solomon 
400 plus years after this, still looks back to this event and references the faithfulness of God in it. He says in verse 56 is the dedication of the temple. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed all of his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Keeps his promises. That's what's real. God had remained faithful. His deliverance had arrived. He had provided for his people. Note how they're leaving with flocks and herds and firstborns while Egypt is still burying theirs. They had lost their flocks. They had lost their herds. They had lost their firstborns. And Israel's walking out with theirs. It's in God's perfect timing that all of this happens. He does things right on time, right on schedule, on the very day that he planned. Going back to Exodus, we're told very historically when they left. They left after 430 years. Verse 41, at the end of 430 years, on that very day. The day that God had picked out. God picked out yesterday for Andrew. We don't know why. We don't know why that day was chosen, but he picked it out yesterday. And he called him home. And he picked out this day for Israel, and they walked out victorious, just as he had planned. This was history for Israel. This is what they celebrated. This is what they hoped in. But number two, it's not just about the Old Testament for us. It's about the New Testament. Because just over 2,000 years ago, a sacrificial lamb rose from the dead, walked out of a tomb after three days, leaving it empty, appeared to over 500 people, and changed the lives of his followers forever. 1 Corinthians 15 reads a lot like Exodus chapter 12 from a historical standpoint. 1 Corinthians 15 says, verse 3, For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's highlighting, Paul is highlighting the historical event of the resurrection. He gives the same types of facts to show the history of this event. There's details here. There's people here. There's impact here. It's all in the perfect timing of God too. Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son to be the sacrifice for us. Now, we need this history. We celebrate today on a Sunday. We look back to a historical event that Jesus came out of a tomb. The tomb is empty. I took uh, our family and, and the McLeods took their family to the graveside of, of my grandparents uh, this past week. And so we're, we're standing by the grave and, and I told my kids, I said, tell me how we know my granny and granddaddy are still here. How do we know they're still here in this tomb? Well, the grass looks very well groomed. Nothing's been dug up. The gravestone's still here. Like, all of this points to they are here. Their death dates are here. I said, yeah, like, like their bodies are still here. We're waiting for them to be resurrected. I said, now, now if we could go to Jesus' tomb, which people did at the time when he died, if we could go to his tomb, he'd look totally different, right? The, the, the headstone would be, would be changed. It would be rolled away. Right? The ground would be different. Like There would be evidence that there is no body here. It's why we believe in the resurrection. It's why we believe in a historical event that Jesus is alive today. We need this history because our celebration of salvation, our hope for tomorrow, is contingent on this history. 
We believe a historical Jesus died on a historical cross and spent three historical days in the grave, only to historically rise again from the tomb, to appear in a historical way, in a resurrected body to historical people. We believe in a historical event, not an idea. Jesus didn't get resurrected in the hearts of his followers. He came back to life, and it's our hope for today that we too come back to life one day. Paul tells us later in chapter 15, if if this isn't a historical event, if it didn't really happen, we have a problem. We ought to be pitied. But it did happen. He's conquered for us so that we too walk about as conquerors. Just like Israel walked out of Egypt. Because of the conquering victory of Jesus, we too walk around as conquerors. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He did not spare his own son. Sacrificed his son so that we could be saved. Recognize what's real. This is real. The resurrection is real. We celebrate it today because it's a historical event. It's our hope. It's our hope that that tomb is empty, that Jesus is no longer there. He is in heaven, and we are waiting. We are waiting for Andrew to come with him. All that have gone before us to come with him, where we will be reunited, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. We'll be reunited with him forever. So we will always be with the Lord. Recognize what's real. We forget it, though. We forget it a lot of times. So number two is remember what's real. Remember it. You got to recognize it. You got to put your faith in it. There may be people today who have never put their faith in a historical Jesus who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Three days in the tomb, he comes out. There may be people that are sitting here today that have never put their faith in that. I'm going to tell you, if Andrew could come back from the grave today, one, he wouldn't, okay? Like, Like he would not choose to come back. I was thinking as I was driving, after Taylor had called me with the news, I'm driving to the hospital, I'm thinking like, man, I miss him already, like I wish he was here, and, I, and I, it just kind of flooded over me, I'm thinking like, man, Andrew probably wouldn't choose to come back. Like, what he's experiencing right now, his love for Jesus would supersede anything he could love here, right? Anything he could love here, he's with Jesus, right? And he's, he's loving Jesus, and he's worshiping Jesus, but if he could come back, Man, he would cry out and appeal to you if you've never put your faith in Christ to do it today. To believe that Jesus is alive and well. That Andrew's been with him. Andrew's seen him just like Peter, just like James, just like Paul. He's now seen the resurrected Christ and he would say, oh man, you got to put your faith in him. You got to put your faith in him. You put your faith in him and he'll tell you to come with me. He'll tell you to meet me here. You put your faith in him. We got to remember what's real we got to remember what's real. Number one, well over 2,000 years ago, God substituted a lamb 
so he could temporarily pass over his people to protect them from death. What we're reading here is a reminder through the Passover that they were to remind themselves through the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we see some of those stipulations again given. We're not going to go through them in detail. We've already done some of that. But it's important for us to hear those messages once again today because the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, were to be their reminders of the victory they celebrate. The Passover was to demonstrate what God did in history to rescue his people from slavery, death, and sin. Notice how it says only covenant members could partake of the Passover, right? It says as you come out and you become a nation, like you have to be part of the nation to participate in the Passover. He's like, don't invite your neighbors over to do this with you unless they're part of the faith community, right? Like they got to be circumcised. They got to show that they want to be a part of this. They got to express faith in this. They don't get to just come to a meal and celebrate. It's not like a July 4th barbecue where you just invite the neighborhood over, believers or unbelievers. You're welcome to do that. We don't invite them to the Lord's Supper, though. Lord's Supper's for believers. It's for people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who want his life to count for theirs, who want his blood to stand in the gap for them. The Passover was meant to remind the children of Israel of that historical event that they, they left Egypt. The foreigners could be grafted into this down the road, They could enjoy the covenant promises, but it was primarily a reminder of what God had done for his people at that time. Just over 2,000 years ago, God substituted his son so he could eternally pass over his people to secure their resurrection to life. Just as the people of Israel are commanded here in Exodus to, to remember the Passover, to remember that night where the death angel came through Egypt and the blood was spread on the doors and those that were in that security were passed over They were to celebrate that yearly. We're told to do something similar in the New Testament. We're told to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's our reminder of the victory that we celebrate, the hope of what is still to come. It demonstrates what God did in history to rescue his people from slavery, death, and sin. We deserve the death angel too. And the Lord chose to sacrifice his son so we could be spared from it. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, we partake of the Lord's Supper with anticipation of Him coming again as the risen Lord. Egypt, or Israel experienced an exodus out of Egypt. We're going to experience a great exodus ourselves one day. When God gathers His people, when Jesus comes back for us, and we are caught up together with Him forever. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that eternity looks like. Now I've got opinions and speculations and whatnot, and you're going to have some too. Whatever it looks like, I plan on being there forever with him, right? When he comes back, when he comes back, we're going to be caught up together. We're going to be caught up together and we partake of the Lord's Supper to remind us that he's already set it in motion. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today to remind us he set it in motion. He came and he lived a perfect life. He died the sacrificial death so that we could be set free too. We have to remember what's real The children of Israel were told, remember what's happened. Remember this historical event. Remember that you left Egypt. Partake of the Passover. Partake of the the unleavened uh, bread feast. Like, do this to remember. Because there's times when we need to remember what's real. Because there's times where we're going to forget. There's going to be dark nights where we're questioning our faith and we're doubting God's goodness. We're questioning what's real. We have to remember what's real that he's still not in the tomb. 
He wasn't in the tomb five years ago when we baptized Andrew. He's not in the tomb yesterday when Andrew went to be with him. And that's why we have hope. Because Andrew was greeted in heaven by Jesus. He's with him today. He'll be with him forever. Remember what's real. And then lastly, number three, we need to relay what's real. We need to relay what is real to others. Israel is given what's given to us here in Exodus 12 so they'll recognize what's real. This is history. They're given the Passover, the unleavened bread feast, to remember this is real. And then they're commanded to relay what is real to the coming generations. Well over 2,000 years ago, Israel sacrificed firstborns and redeemed firstborns to teach all the newborns what God did that night to secure that Exodus morning. Well over 2,000 years ago, Israel was sacrificing the firstborns of their animals. That's what they were called to do, all their clean animals. And that's primarily what they had were clean animals. Every time a newborn, a firstborn came from one of their animals, automatic sacrifice. We kill that, we give that to God, right? This was to remind them that they were passed over that night, that they were spared And it was meant to teach the coming generations to all these newborns that were coming what God did that night. Psalm 78, 4 through 7 is a passage that reminds us how important it is to pass on truth that we remember to others. It says, we will not hide these truths from the children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And Taylor kept telling me yesterday, I don't want Elliot to be messed up by the loss of her dad. I don't want her to be messed up from this for the rest of her life. And I kept thinking, like, she ain't. She ain't going to be messed up by this, right? Because she is surrounded by a loving church family that is going to teach her Teach her the glorious deeds of the Lord. The glorious deeds of the Lord that were done in the life of her dad. and Where her dad is today. We're not going to let her forget it. Because we're not going to let ourselves forget it. We're going to remember these things. We're going to remember what Christ has done. We're going to remember what God has done for us. That he provided a substitute that we can be spared. Right? Think about what's listed here. It's kind of a weird passage because it tells us, that you're to sacrifice these firstborn animals except for donkeys. Like donkeys like, get this bad rap here. Like they don't, they don't get sacrificed because um, they're considered unclean, right? And so they're told uh, you either have to sacrifice a clean animal for them, right? So that was a provision. You have a, you have a newborn donkey and you're like, man, I want to keep this donkey. All right, we got to go get a lamb. And we got to kill the lamb for the donkey, right? Or we can break the donkey's neck, which Hopefully that never happened, kids. Like, hopefully they just always sacrifice the animal for it, right? But notice this is also what's done for the children. You see that? Like, like they're not told to sacrifice their firstborn kids. They're told to redeem them. They're told to go get a lamb and to kill the lamb to redeem the kid back so the kid can be spared. Why? Because the kid's unclean like the donkey. Right? The clean animals were sacrifices. They were substitutes. The kid is unclean like the donkey. He can't be spared, right? He can't be spared unless another stands in his place. It's a teaching tool that God gives them. It's a teaching tool for us today to remind us the only way we can be spared, the only way we can be passed over is by a substitute standing in our place. And that's Jesus. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus dies in our place so that we can be spared. 
Just over 2,000 years ago, God sacrificed his firstborn to redeem us as sons and daughters. A message we must keep sharing to all the newborns. How God worked in the night to bring about that resurrection morning. And he still works in the night in order to bring about the future resurrection morning for all of us too. He's still working. He worked in Christ. He worked in those three days when Christ was in the, in, in the grave. When the devil and death thought they had found victory, God is still at work. And Jesus is raised from the dead for a glorious, victorious first Easter morning. And we hope for our own resurrection one day because of that Easter morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk and drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. We don't belong to the dark nights. We belong to the glorious, victorious mornings, the daytime. That's what we look forward to. That's what we long for. We find ourselves in dark nights at times, but we keep looking to the day. We keep looking to the morning because Jesus got out of the grave. He walked out victorious so that we could be victorious too. We relay this. We relay this to our kids. As every newborn comes into our church, we relay these truths to them so that they never forget what God did that night, what God did that morning. Through his blood, wiped on our accounts, we receive perfection and protection going forward. Nothing can separate us from his love, right? The, the blood of the lambs in, in Exodus, they were wiped on the doors, right? Jesus takes his blood and he wipes it on our sinful accounts. He wipes them clean. Wipes them clean so that we can be spared, so that we can be passed over, so that we can pass through to be with him. We need to remember. We need to recognize. We need to relay to others what's real. What's real today? What's real is that Jesus is alive. That's what's real. There's dark nights, but the morning is still victorious. He is real. We remember that today. Two points of application for us for this Easter, and then two applications for us as we continue to process the death of Andrew. Number one, when your faith feels weak in the night, remember his hand remains strong through the morning. Time and time again here in Exodus, we're told that it's the strong hand of the Lord that rescued him. It's the strong hand of the Lord that protected him through the night, that rescued him through the morning. Man, I posted a video yesterday on Facebook because uh, Daniel Richardson had shared it with me. Don Carson was talking about the, the grounds for our assurance, and he was, he was kind of relaying some of the similar, similar things that I've shared about that night where Israel would have sat around as a family knowing the death angel's coming, and there would have been like questions and doubts and hesitancies like, is this really going to work? Is this really going to happen? Like, are we going to be spared or not spared? And, 
Maybe there were others that were like, hey, definitely fine. Like, we trust God. Like, no problems here. Like, we, we can sleep peacefully tonight. And he made the point, he said, which one did God pass over? The one with the strong faith or the one with the weak faith? Which one lost his son? And he was like, neither one of them did. Like, the blood is what was the, was the assurance, not their, their, their uh, greatness of faith, right? It's the object of our faith that saves us, not how much faith we can conjure up. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. It's his resurrection that saves us. So when your faith feels weak, and it, and it may feel weak uh, right now, it may feel you know, such where, you, where you're questioning some things in your life, whether it's Andrew's death or other things that's happening in your life, your faith may feel weak at times right now. You remember his hand remains strong through the morning. He's the object of our faith. He's the one that sustains us. He's our assurance. Number two, be ready for the death angel who is coming so your mourning is victorious too. Be ready for the death angel who's coming so your mourning is victorious too. When Andrew entered the presence of the Lord, he walked through the door of Christ whose blood allowed him to pass through. Think about that. Jesus says he's the door. There's a narrow path that gets through to him. Right? A lot of people are on the road to destruction, wide road. Everybody goes that way. There's a narrow path that leads to life, and it goes through the door of Jesus. You can't help but miss the picture. You don't want to miss the picture here. that The door that the Israelites were able to pass through that next morning, right? when they walked out and said, hey, morning time, night's over, death angel passed over, we've been spared, let's go to the promised land. When they walked through that door and it was blood-stained. Andrew walked through a door yesterday too, the door of Jesus Christ, right? And there was blood-stains there too. Because Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he showed those hands. He showed that side and said, look, it's me. I am back. I am real. You trust me and you follow me. And we know that his followers were never the same after that. They bought into his realness. They said, we want what you got. We want that type of resurrection. We We want to be ready for that. We want to be ready so that we can pass through too. And a couple of points to to remember as we grieve with with the Hagman family. Number three, know the cries from the Hagman house are heard. Remember how we read in in Exodus where the, the Egyptians cried out, they're losing their firstborns, they're weeping, they're groaning, and their gods don't hear them. Their gods aren't real, their gods don't care. I was texting Taylor this morning, and I said, hey, go back to Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus. Remember, it says that God, God, God heard his people, heard their groanings, saw his people, he was listening, he cared, he knew. Right? We can trust that God hears the cries because he is real. Number four, don't be mad at God. Don't be mad at God because Andrew isn't. I think that's worth remembering. You want to know what Andrew's doing today? Revelation 7 tells us. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. 
They worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. They've made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's worshiping on this Easter morning, too. He's just worshiping a little differently than us. He ain't mad at God at all. He ain't questioning God at all. He's saying, I'm glad to be here. This is where I want to be with the lamb. This is where I want to be with the substitute. Heidelberg Catechism says, what's your only comfort in life and death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins, has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purposes for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. I want to close by reading from 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, let one another earnestly, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord is real. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. hope I've been able to do that faithfully to you today, to preach the good news. To preach the good news that is real. It's our hope. It's what we trust today. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you that you are our substitute. That we're unclean and in and of ourselves, we can't be a sacrifice to you because we're not worthy. We're not without blemish. And You chose to make a way of escape. You chose to provide a substitute. You sent your son, Jesus. Those lambs on that Exodus night, they, they, they pointed to Jesus. They were types and figures of Jesus. 
God, you sent Jesus 2,000 years ago so that we could all be passed over, so that we could all pass through one day when we come before you. When we stand before you and we are, we are supposed to be rightfully judged, you look and say, the blood of my son covers you. And your, your robes have been washed white as new. And we thank you that Andrew enjoyed that yesterday. He, he, was, he was brought into your presence because of a substitute. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is alive and well today, and we celebrate that on Easter. We celebrate it every Sunday. Lord, help us to celebrate it every day of our life to recognize what's real, to remember what is real, and to relay that to other people too. We thank you, we celebrate you, we remember today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.